Welcome back to SG Explained. It's me, Charmian, here with you today. And of course, joining me are my two boys, Rovik and Elliot. Hello, guys. Yay, we're your boys. We're your boys. Yay. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the listeners can agree with me why I would call you guys boys. Because I say one line and you guys spend the next, like, what, one minute talking about it? So, we're just going to move We giggle about it. We giggle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think by now, um, our listeners know us to be the podcasters who don't shy away from some very tough conversations, right? We talk about anything here on the podcast. We talk about beer, we talk about taxi drivers, we talk about birthing. And today, this episode is something that I'm very excited about. And I remember very clearly when we were in the brainstorming um, part of this season and the boys were asking me, Charmian, what are some topics you would like to explore? And I think one of the first things I said was, I kind of want to talk about death. And I remember the two of you going, oh, I mean, that's not what we're expecting, uh, but we welcome (laughs) it. (laughs) So I set an intention and it is happening in this episode. We're going to start off with a little bit of a morbid question, but I welcome your answers, okay? So Ellen Rovick, have you guys thought about your own death and what happens after? Yes, many times. You want to hear a really cool story? I have a, I already have an idea of what my death is going to be like. What? <laughs> this is how I want my funeral to go. This is not a joke. Like, I, I legit, this is how I want my funeral to be like. Okay. First, wait, my wait, let me funeral, take out my notepad. Wait. My funeral has to be a party. Like, it must be a party. Ah, okay. So, um, that, I mean, you can cry, lah, sure, if you want. But you have to play my... I have a very specific playlist on Spotify. You guys can actually find it. It's called Funeral Songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I add to my funeral song playlist every once in a while because it matters. When I go, like, when you finally cremate my body at Mandai, you know, usually I play like Ave Maria or something as the body is being pushed away, right? Yeah. Uh, I want them, I want to play, like, Enter Sandman as, as like, it's being pushed out in the PA system. <laughs> Quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Then when the when the fire goes, it'll be exit. Like, I mean, this will be copyrighted, obviously, but you know, like that's how I want to go. So that people will be like head banging. Usually it's crying. It's like I've cried a lot at at, at Mandai. But I just wanted my friends and family to hit Bob, you know, like this is like get into the groove as I die. Yeah. I'm glad that you're sharing this on the podcast. So then not just Rove and myself, but everyone who listens to this podcast will know what you want. My boys know about it. So, you know, they, they got this on lock. <laughs> well, hopefully people will listen to this podcast in a long time from now. You're all invited to the party, by the way. It's not like a ticketed event, you know. <laughs> it's a meet the people session. Just come on down. I haven't thought that far ahead. I will say... And when I was much younger, I think death was definitely one of my biggest fears because I was very concerned about just disappearing into the abyss. Is that what life is? That you just stop having relevance and meaning? And yeah, so death has been a very scary concept for me. But I think with faith, with my religion and with my faith, I think that I've, I've been able to bring some meaning back and to be able to have some sense of life. But yeah, mm-hmm. there was a long time where death was just scary. It was extremely it's scary. interesting that we're recording this on Easter. Where someone significant has risen from the dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another of my boys. I love that we're doing this episode because I already feel like I know you guys a lot more just by how you approach the idea or the concept of death. And Rovit, you brought up something about how 
it's a fear for you, right? And I think naturally so for everyone, like when you actually confront it, it can be really scary because I think it's all about the idea of uncertainty, right? And that's because there's actually so little that we truly know about the process of dealing with what comes after a loved one's passing or even our own. So today we're going to be discussing not the spiritual aspects of it, not what our idea of what the afterlife is, but the very practical considerations of what happens after we die. Things like what happens to the things we own? Who gets them? And how exactly do we even approach such a topic? Mm. So naturally, the three of us are here to learn as always, which is why it is my honor to bring on a very special guest onto today's episode. And I will preface this with how we met. I actually got to know Zach today, our guest. I actually got to know Zach because I was his Grab Hitch passenger. So it was a chance meeting. Whoa. It really was. <laughs> and and through, oh, shameless plug our taxi driver's episode, we also talked about private hire vehicles there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're getting the hang of this. I am. I really <laughs> am. I learned from you guys. And we got to chatting and I found out he's got a very niche and special profession, one that I have not heard of until I met him. So I would like to bring on Zachary Leong onto today's episode to talk about after death planning. Welcome, Zach. Yay, welcome, Zach. Hi, guys. Pleasure to be here. So the exact term for his profession is an estate planner. Roving and Elliot, do you guys know anything about what estate planning is? I just finished uni. I made my house. Uh, I just moved <laughs> into my place. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, obviously. You're real estate, bro. I know a bit about estate planning. In fact, like it's something in my family which we take quite a lot of pride in. Oh. We, we never shied away from this conversation about if mommy dies or if daddy dies, here's what's going to happen. You get X amount of my of my wealth and you got to take care of your younger brother, etc, etc. So it's not a foreign concept, but I do think that um, the wealth of knowledge and the discourse we have about it seems to be very close a lot of the times. And yes. I'm lucky that my family is a little bit more liberal, but not everyone gets to live under my mother's roof. Shout out to Elliot's mom. Very well. Yo, mom, what's up, mom? First shout out for you on the podcast, okay? <laughs> well, for those of you who have no idea what estate planning is, this is the first time you're hearing about it. In a nutshell, estate planning is the process of planning how you want your estate, meaning all the assets you have at the point of your death to be managed and transferred after your death, which is actually what Zachary is an expert in. Zachary, want to tell us a bit more about yourself? I actually started off as as a financial advisor or insurance agent. That's about Ooh. five, six years ago. Okay, so of course, you know, insurance is, is good, right? I mean, it's a very good instrument. I believe most of the people, they buy their own insurance as well. But after two years, two, year, two and a half years or so, I started to feel like, you know, there's only so much you learn about insurance, insurance. So I felt that there must be something more that, you know, that I can do for my clients. So I came across this opportunity and attended a seminar on estate planning by my current company. And I was asked this question, like, do you know how do the beneficiaries actually receive the payout from the insurance after, you know, the person passes on? I thought about it and I was quite ashamed because as an insurance agent, to me, I thought it was a very simple process. You pass on, you know, you take your legal documents to the insurance company then the money comes out, right? Simple, right? Mm. I'd like to ask you guys a question. So if let's say there was no nomination done on the insurance policy, you know, and the family members goes down to the insurance company to collect the check, who will the check actually be addressed to? I remember my insurance advisor telling me about this before. I'm sorry, advisor, I probably can't remember it right. But <laughs> he said something about like, if you don't have kids, it will go to your parents. And so your, my parents will be able to claim. If my parents don't have it, 
then it's like my next closest kin or something like that. I think my wife's answer would be my wife. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> That's my wife's policy. So if let's say today I pass on and then my family members goes to the insurance company to make a claim on my death payout, the check will actually be addressed to myself. It will be addressed to the estate of Zachary Leung. Oh, okay. So oh. of which this check has to be put into an estate account which is an account that my family members have to open for me after I pass on. So the check has to be put inside and so do all the liquid assets. All of them get put into this estate account before it goes for distribution. This whole process is where a lot of people get stuck at when it comes to settling their loved one's estate. Because it's just not that straightforward. I was actually caught in a bit of a disbelief. So it kept me pondering for days and days after that. Like, well, I'm quite thankful that my clients have never asked me this before because I would have likely given them the wrong answer. After a while, I decided, okay, I think this is the higher calling that I was looking for, you know. This was the thing that I wanted to do more for my clients. And fast forward today, then I'm an estate planner right now. Right. Wow. wow, that is really cool. I think we're going to unpack a lot more of this, which I'm like super excited about because I feel like I'm proud of knowing like a little bit of a lot of things. But this is probably the one topic where I can openly admit I know like nothing about it. I'm mm-hmm. curious, right? Because there's so much like legal jargon concerning the matters of death. I know there's like concepts of like trust, there's like estates, like I'm super curious on what all these different things mean. But could you give us like a breakdown or a one-on-one on what is involved? in after-death planning? There are multiple instruments involved in after-death planning. So of course, with all the legal documents, there are the will, which is your final testament. So that will decide on the distribution, on, let's say, my final wishes, etc. So this is an instruction guide? Yes, correct. Something like that. Like, you follow this guide, this is how I want things to be done after I pass on. Okay, so this gives me control. So there are two types of trust, which is a living and testamentary. So testamentary is the non-living lah. So one living, one dead. It's alike to, you know, allocating your assets into a safety deposit box. Mm. Somebody else's safety deposit box. So let's say I can put my assets into a trust for my mom. So this asset technically belongs to my mom. And of course, there's the lasting power of attorney. Okay, this is to a legal form that appoints somebody to make my decisions for my healthcare and well-being and also for my finances if I lose mental capacity. So this can happen such as Alzheimer, dementia, etc. Okay, and lastly, I would like to talk about advanced medical directive. Okay, this is actually if let's say today I'm terminally ill and I'm unconscious, it's the message to my doctor telling them that I do not want to be put on any form of life-sustaining treatment. Just pull my plug and let me go. This is like DNR, right? Do not resuscitate. Interesting. I actually do think I want to set that up though. If I'm terminally ill, like yeah. See ya, see ya, world. It was nice knowing you. I agree. Because, you know, I, I don't think I want my parents to, you know, to spend their hard-earned money putting me on life support. They have to pay for it. I'm unconscious. I'm obviously not the one paying. So, I mean, it's, it's a gracious move, like, I feel. Time is up. Uh, like, I'm good for now. See you guys in the next one. I'm glad we can all sit here and laugh about that. But from your parents' perspective, <laughs> if they were listening to this episode, they'd be like, you don't know how hard it is for me to decide to pull the plug on my child. <laughs> so, I'm just speaking yeah, for your parents. I, I was going to say, Elliot, like, I feel like most of the time, these decisions are not just like one person, right? Like, yes, fair, we fair. our body, our choice, but also like, I mean, it impacts a lot of people. It's worth considering the impact. So, I mean, I totally would respect whatever you do, but I would also say like, that's where things get messy when it comes to like deaf conversations, right? It's like, yeah. it's the impact on like so many other people. Mm. So, okay, these are all the legal things, like, okay, about after death planning, but there's something else that, you know, is 
coming up these days and a little bit more popular, which is something that I think y'all talked about in the introduction, which is actually your pre-funeral planning. You actually can plan for your funeral beforehand. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's some reasons why people want to do pre-funeral planning. Okay, One thing is because of religious beliefs, right? If let's say there are people with different religious beliefs in the same family, and let's say for me, I'm a free thinker, and then you know, maybe my sister is Christian, my parents are Buddhist, then you know, they might have an argument over on how should my funeral be conducted? Under which religious belief should it be? So I want to decide for myself, maybe if I want it to be a party, like, you know, earlier, then yes, I can say I don't want any sort of religious things. I want it to be like, you know, like a party for myself. Then, okay, I can put that as my final wishes. Okay, so of course, there are a lot of things such as like, you know, you know, your cremation is done in Mandai. After that, what about your columbarium? You know, your final resting ground. Where would you like that to be? Okay, they're mm. actually private ones. They're government ones, you know. There are those where, you know, you have monks every day to, you know, come and chant for you and everything, you know. What kind of, not how grand of a final resting ground you want, those can be decided as well. And not just planning for the funeral, you can actually pre-pay for it. You know, I can pay for it beforehand. Like, you know, my funeral is paid for. Okay, when I pass <laughs> on, my family don't pay for it. I already paid for it. Elliot, are you going to pre-pay for your rock party or not? I, I am, I am, I am. I'll definitely do it. I'll definitely do it. Don't worry about budget. Pre-paying for a funeral. Like, why would anyone choose to do that? Because, first of all, death is very unpredictable as with everything in life, right? And let's say we talk about very practical things like, say we die in like 30, 40 years. Like, there's the issue of inflation as well. So how, how does that work out? in terms of prepaying. So I'd like us to think back, you know, how much do you think was a kopi paying at a kopi jam back in your 90s? We've been talking about inflation a lot over here. I think it was like 10 cents or something like that. In primary school for me, it was like 60 cents for a cup of ice Milo. Was it same for you guys? Well, primary school different. Primary school discounted. <laughs> I think like 20 cents maybe lah. But then how much do you think is a kopi paying at a kopi jam these days? No, recently I just went lah. I mean, one fifty, two ten, two ten. What? Which kopitiam you go to? I work in Raffles City. Very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot. You have this red color big cup, the whole lim cup, right? It's yes, two dollars. Yes, eh. This is inflation hitting you right here, right? So actually, prepaying for a funeral is a good way that you can lock in the prices now compared to your families having to pay for it. Maybe like you said, 30, 40, 50 years later, which. It's of course going to become more expensive. It isn't going to become cheaper, definitely. Oh, not bad. He must lock it now. <laughs> yeah, lock it. Yeah, lock it now, right? <laughs> so if you prepay for the funeral, will you guys be worried? Like, hey, what if the funeral company closed down? What if the funeral company passed on before me? You present all these details, makes you really think I'm not prepared for my death yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about it, and I, I honestly trusted my friends. I only thought about the playlist, honestly. Like that was actually my main plan. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Okay, if let's say the company is allowing you to prepay for your funeral, actually the money that you prepay for will be actually put into a trust by the company. So trust, like, like I mentioned, was just like a safety deposit box, right? So actually, if the company were to close down, the money and the contracts collected in this trust will actually be passed on to another funeral company for them to continue to honor the contracts. So don't worry, your money won't just disappear. Your raving party will still have. It will still continue. I was pumping my fist in the air, happily knowing that, yes. In celebration. Life will happen. <laughs> I, I guess based on your experience, what are the reasons you've seen people voluntarily like seek estate planning? This is such a... I would say niche or maybe not as known sort of like service. But what are some of the popular reasons that people want to come to you for? Okay, there's actually less than 15% of the population in Singapore who has gotten their will done. The three groups of people or the three kinds of situations in which I see people voluntarily want to do estate planning is number one is that they are very rich. Okay, they have so much assets, you know, and 
with so much assets, usually it comes with more complications. So more money, more problems. Lah, huh? mm. So that's the second group of people. If let's say there's some form of family complication, you know, actually proves there's some form of motivation where they want to control the distribution, especially if mm. let's say there's a very unfilial child, you know, that's done nothing for the family. And of course, I do not want any of my assets going to this unfilial child, right? Family drama. Yeah, correct. That kind of things. Okay. So usually with more money comes more problems and more problems will want, you know, you will want to do an estate planning. So the last group of people are people, if let's say you have family members or you have loved ones who are of special needs. Okay. Special needs can be things like you have someone who has Down syndrome or dementia or Alzheimer. You know that even if you leave down money for this group of people, they won't be able to utilize the money or to manage the money on their own. So mm. it defeats the purpose of leaving money down for them. So they, for them, they will need to do a will, preferably with a trust as well, so that they can control how the money will be dispersed to these people to take care of them. What these three groups of people have in common is that they all have something that they want to protect. And so they have to start planning ahead and have something drafted in like black and white on paper, like, hey, this is how I want to handle my money get it done when I'm not around. It's been so interesting so far. We've only like touched the tip of the iceberg, I have to say. And I have so many questions, honestly. Like we will definitely dive into more of this after the break. But before the break, you know what it is. Pop, 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 pop quiz. Twist time. I know it's a lot of legal jargon and information in this episode, but don't worry. I have made it easier for you guys for making today's pop quiz an MCQ, y'all. Wow, so, so generous of you for MCQ. I'm stunned, man. Now, in a person's lifetime, as you know, you may place your property into a trust, like Zach mentioned, right? And this is created for the benefit of someone else when we go. What is the legal term of this trust called? Is it A, an inter vivos? Or is it B, a viva la vivos? Now, option B, I will have to say, sounds very much like viva la vida, which you know means long live life. So whether you choose to take that as a hint is entirely up to you. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a trust meant to be like, long live my money. Therefore, <laughs> viva la vivos. Long live my money, he said. He said it with utmost confidence. <laughs> long live my money. Or is inter vivos, like basically, inter means going from person to person, right? So like, does the trust mean like going from me to you? I love your deduction in this, Rovik. The point is that there's only A or B, Rovik. Like you pick one, I pick one. Well, <laughs> one of us is going to get it right. Okay. Very One simple. of both of us get it right. What's your answer? I'm going to go with B. I'm going for A. Correct answer is A. Jeng, 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 jeng. stuck to my guns. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I knew both of you already figured it out because Rovik pointed out a very important point. Inter is between, right? And inter vivos is actually Latin for between the living. So when you oh. name it that, it means that the trust or the property is being passed from one life to another. And in this sense, the settler, who is the person who decided to open this trust, will basically place his property under the instrument, which is the trust. He will then appoint someone, which is the trustee, to manage the trust property for the beneficiary, the person who is receiving all of that. So as a settler, you may specify when and how you want to distribute this property, like Zach mentioned. And this is where we get terms in like pop culture, like trust fund, or she's got a trust fund to take money from. And this like heir or heiress will have to like hit the legal age of 18, uh, prove themselves before they can, you know, get the money and that sort of thing. 
So yeah, in a nutshell, an inter vivos. Wow. Legit very cool, actually. I actually thought Rovik was going to get the right answer. Me too. <laughs> Based on I was like, wow, he's damn close. I, just, I was impressed. <laughs> no, I wanted to give Elle a win, la, that's why. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> You're very kind, man. We're going for a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be discussing the reasons why some people choose not to execute a will and what happens if you decide not to. Stay tuned. It's crazy to think that we're in season 5 of the SG Explained podcast and you, the listener, have been a great part of that experience. If you like what we've been doing over the last few seasons and you want to support some independent podcasters, here are three ways that you can do so. The first is to subscribe and that's by just clicking the subscribe button or follow button on any of the platforms you're listening to us on. The second is to share. Share our content, our episodes with people that you think would enjoy learning about the Singapore identity and challenging some of the preconceived notions that they may have. And finally, directly support us by clicking on the anchor link in the description area where you can make a small contribution that helps us support some of the costs of producing these great podcasts. Thank you again for being part of the SJ Explained family and we look forward to making many more great episodes for you. Welcome back to this episode of SG Explained. We have Zach here with us. He is an estate planner. You know, really making us think about our own deaths, really allowing us to confront what happens after. So trilling off what we were talking about just a while ago, Zach was sharing with us the kind of people who would voluntarily seek estate planning, right? Which actually allowed me to think about this question. Zach, you mentioned that one of these groups of people are the people who are hella rich, right? What about the people who are so average, like so average that they think maybe estate planning is not for me? Like, why is it relevant to me? But like, Mian, why is this important? Yes, why would this apply to me? To me <laughs> actually, the truth is that most of my clients come from very average families. So actually, my belief is that if as long as you have any assets at all, okay, you have money in the bank, which all of us do, right? Okay, it's just how much. You have investments lying around. A lot of people have that. Hmm. Property. Okay, maybe not now, but you know, probably in the future, I will need a roof above my head. I have property. And insurance, which I believe a lot of people have as well. So all these are all assets. As long as you have any assets at all, I feel that it's better to get a will done. So can it include things that like are of sentimental value, which in my opinion are priceless? Like a soft toy given to my brother, that kind of thing. Like, would that apply under my ass? <laughs> hey, that's, that's your sentimental thing? Hey, I can already sense the judgmental tone. I just feel like you and your brother have so much more, like, between you guys. But that truly is one of my favorite things from him. Oh, okay, that's yeah. nice. So it's like a total la. So this total will go down the generations in the family, yeah. is it? So it's like a grandchildren, like this is your grandmother's total, you know, this passed down through the generation. Well, I can already see my grandkids hating me for that shit. <laughs> but to answer your question, I mean, yes, it's possible. Zach gets it. <laughs> I'm sure your lawyers would happily charge you more for that line as well. I'll customize the line, sure. <laughs> I was also thinking about like what normally stops people in their tracks, right? Like why wouldn't people get their will done or actually talk about estate planning? And I can consider two. I want to hear your thoughts on this, Zach, right? So the first is about privacy. When they speak with an estate planner, you might be able to talk about like all the stuff that you have, bank accounts, even like the stuff that you want to hide away from like other people. And I guess that's like one thing that you need to do. Things to hide, you know, can be things like assets, 
Of course, sometimes uh, people, they don't wish for their family to know like what kind of assets they have. That happens more in Asian contexts, actually, I feel. So they're more private, you know, about things that I own. And, you know, until the day I pass on, I don't want them to know. Other than assets-wise, there could be an outside party or it could be a, like a personal relationship that you do not want the family Ooh. to know about. So this could be like, maybe you have a mistress outside, you know. <laughs> so actually, you know, it, it will be part of my job to advise if, let's say, there's an external party out of the family that you like to leave money for. Okay, mistress or not, I'm not going to ask, okay? <laughs> but, you know... It could, a, it could be a really good friend, like Elliot. <laughs> it's good to learn this, yeah, okay? <laughs> so if I ever, you know, have someone else outside, you can come and look for me, you know, I advise you how to go about it. <laughs> we want to plan it in such a way that you're still living enough for your your own direct family so that, you know, they do not have uh, any grounds to contest your will in the future. To say that, you know, they'll go to court and saying that, hey, who is this external party? Like, why is she getting money? You know, she's not leaving enough for us. And then there'll, there'll be a contest of it. So if the will is well written and planned for, you can actually prevent this. The second one I can think of is basically culture, right? So I know a lot of people, especially here in Singapore and in Asia, they don't really like talking about death because they feel like if you talk about it, then you're basically going to cause it to happen, right? So how do you overcome that? Or how do you help people who have that fear? When, they, when it comes to estate planning? Wow, talking about superstition, I think this is something that uh, is a huge obstacle in my job because, you know, you hear insurance agents talking about how morbid their topics are to their clients. They talk about death and stuff. But when you come in as an estate planner, I think the, the topic goes a lot more deeper than that. So not everyone is prepared for it. And I believe actually most of the older people, means people who are maybe in their 60s now or so, late 50s, 60s, they are a lot more superstitious. And I've actually had a case where, you know, I have an elderly couple uh, who actually started arguing in front of me because the wife wants to get a will done, the husband does not because the husband sort of feels that, you know, if you do a will now, it means that, you know, I'm going to pass on. Like, you know, all, all know it doesn't happen that way, right? But it's just superstitious, you know? The living is for the living. The date is for the date. We shouldn't interfere with our children or whatsoever after we're gone. So all this superstitious, uh, actually, there's no real way to overcome it other than through knowledge, which is why I try to reach out to as many young people as possible to mm. try to educate them at their age, you know, on these topics are normal, you know, it's important to plan for this, you know, so that in the future, hopefully this problem will, you know, will cease to exist. That's why you're on our podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully so, you know, I hope more young people will actually hear about this, yeah. I consider even with my own family, right, about like talking about death and it's, it's very weird, but actually I think my family is a bit progressive. So they have very openly said like, here's all the stuff that we've done for you so that, mm. you know, when we do pass away, you know what to do. They don't go into detail. I think they don't have to because they're still very healthy, thank God. But at the same time, they just want to give me the reassurance that you don't have to, like, do too much on your end to worry about, like, when things happen to us. So I think that's always been nice to know. Yeah, I feel the same way as well. Like, I think it was in the last five years that my parents... Uh, became very transparent that they've already had their will done up. And I think because they opened up that conversation, I think it also helps like the children to be okay. Like death of my parents is inevitable, right? It's going to be a, a rite of passage for a lot of people, right? So I think to be able to have these healthy conversations with your parents for a start is good for everybody on their part. It's all culturally driven, la, these these kind of things at times. Zach, in your job, it's a lot of like people management and relationship management. You know, there's a lot of sensitivities 
uh, to, and I think that's very applaudable, honestly. A lot of thin lines to walk around on the topic of death. You know, as a young person, I think it's a bit harder. You know, I'm 30 years old. Sometimes I'm talking to clients in their 50s and 60s and who's this young guy to come to me and tell me about my death? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about death, young man? You know, yeah, that correct, stuff, correct. Like, in, in terms of having a will, I think you kind of mentioned like we need someone to act upon it. And a very important reason for doing a will is to be able to freely appoint your own executor right executor as in the person who's executing your will not ending your life yes you got <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> the important distinction here you appoint your own person to execute your will rather than waiting for the court to appoint an administrator for you uh, and if they are appointed they're likely not prepared and you know they have no idea how to proceed yada yada bureaucracy uh, even worse they might not actually even want to take up the responsibilities i mean from what we understand the, the job scope is like uh, locate all the assets and liabilities of the deceased. They have to pay off all liabilities for the deceased, handle the distribution of my of my estate when I pass. And I have to ask, is the court-appointed administrator ready for all these tasks? It seems like a lot. And are they aware that they have to pay up front for all the costs involved with their own money? I think that sounds crazy. Just imagine if, let's say, the executor or the court-appointed administrator does not even know how much estate this person has. So for all you know, after I pay for all the liabilities, there's not even enough in the estate to reimburse me for the amount I paid. So I end up doing, you know, like a charity to this person. That's crazy. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> no, it's important, you know. From the selection of the executors, it's good that you can appoint the right people for it. And also let them know beforehand. <laughs> like, don't yes, just write definitely. their name. Like, here's how much I have. Like, here's how much I have, right? Yeah. So usually for executors, okay, after I've done a will for my clients, usually through the executors, I'll actually do a briefing for them. So I'll ask the executors to come down for a briefing. Okay, these are the things you have to do. These are the things you have to take note. If let's say this person passed on, if you don't know what to do, come and look for me so that I can guide you through if I'm still alive as well. When it comes to selection of executors, who do you think y'all will select? My best friend. I'm always selecting my best friends. My brother and then two other like friends I know are not just like my best friends, but like I can really trust them to handle the legal part of it. We all have friends who are like we love, but are very tardy and you would not trust them to handle paperwork. You can have very close friends, but not everyone is up to the task of managing your life and your life's work. This is generally quite safe. I've actually had clients when selecting the executors, they actually select just directly from their own family members. So like, you know, okay, I'll appoint my brother, my sister and my mother, for example. So actually, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But as an estate planner, usually my advice will be to try to select people from different groups, people mm. who do not interact with each other. The reason being so is to prevent a possibility of a common disaster. So if today I appoint all my direct family members, the higher possibility was that, you know, if let's say we're traveling out together, you know, we're going for dinner together and we're in a car, we can get into an accident together. It happens. But if let's say I were to appoint a sibling and a university friend and a secondary school friend, what's the likelihood of all of us being together, you know, going out together? It's unlikely. So this could be a better way to actually select your executors because you don't want to have a scenario where all my executors pass on the same time as me. Does that make sense? Don't pick people who could die alongside you. Things I've never, ever considered to be like mm-hmm. that integral are now starting to read this fact that like my plan is not foolproof. <laughs> <laughs> All you had was a playlist. <laughs> Who's going to handle my playlist? Real questions, okay, guys? Okay, jokes aside, right? Zach, I will have to ask. We've been talking so much about why it's good 
to draft up a will and make sure that you have an executor and all that. But um, what about those who don't have a will? Okay, for those without a will, don't worry. Singapore, actually, we have our own intestate succession act, which is actually the Singapore's distribution law lah, for those who do not have a will. So if you don't have a will, then everything, all your distribution will follow according to this act. When we're following to this act, it means that you do not have control of how the distribution will be like. There are some scenarios which, you know, you won't be able to plan for ahead. If today you're married and you have kids, would you still want to provide for your parents financially in their old age? Ideally, yes. Sounds good. But did you know that according to the Singapore's distribution law, if today I'm married with children, and I pass on, none of my assets will go to my parents. They're split between my spouse and children. My parents get oh. nothing. It's quite common, you know, some of my clients that tell me, I mean, I believe my spouse will take care of, you know, my parents for me, all this kind of thing. Good, you know, it's good that you trust your spouse, you know, I'm happy when I hear that. Okay, but, you know, you're leaving some gaps open, you know, especially for, if let's say you were to pass on earlier, you know, maybe in your 30s, you have a very young child, you know, would it be a little bit selfish of you if you expect your spouse not to remarry? Would you want your child to grow up without a fatherly or motherly figure? It's possible that, you know, your spouse might remarry and after your spouse remarry, they have their own in-laws again. Would mm. they still want to take the time to take care of your parents still? You know, that's going to be a lot of responsibility on them. Then also, what makes you so sure that, you know, your spouse will outlive your parents? You know, well, I passed on earlier than my parents then, right? What makes you think it's not possible, right? <laughs> the worst case scenario comes when the spouse does pass on, 100% of the assets go to the young child and there'll be still nothing left for their parents. Either, either side's parents. So now you don't just screw one family, you screw the other family, <laughs> both sides, the parents regret nothing, you know? And you have a very young child who's unable to hold any of the assets even. The last scenario would be if let's say I pass on today, and I leave all the money for my spouse and my kids, I'm actually passing on the financial responsibility to my spouse and expecting them to take care of my parents for me. If I were to do this, um, I would rather want to pass on the financial responsibility to their own parents themselves. Take care of yourselves. I'm giving you the money rather than passing it to my spouse and, hey, I expect you to use this money to take care of my parents. Oh, Zach, you're asking very good questions, man. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason why three of us are so quiet because we're just like processing everything. So I think our listeners are in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> How about, you know, if I have no kids, just me and my spouse happily married, no children, would you want to provide for your own parents or would you want to provide for your in-laws as well after you pass on? Let's talk about... Uh, a common disaster where both pass on together. So shag. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> well, it's a very real top topic to talk about. <laughs> I mean, in an ideal world, right? If we both pass on, both myself and my spouse, we have thought about providing for our own parents. So like, I'm not expecting him to take care of my parents, but he's also not expecting me to take care of his parents. So whatever we have left behind is for our own parents. So both of them are taken care of, both sides. Question for you guys. In a common disaster, let's say you and your spouse both pass on together simultaneously and the exact time of death couldn't be determined, who do you think is deemed to have passed on first? Must there be someone who is designated as passed on first? Because that will affect on how the distribution law acts. Logically, it would be whoever who was more likely to have died first la, by age. Well, that's a good guess. Correct. <laughs> but let's hear about whether this is truly a privilege or not. Uh. If let's say you are deemed to have passed on first, okay, 50% of your assets now goes to your spouse and 50% goes to your parents. Subsequently, you know your spouse is in a common disaster. Your spouse is gone as well. Your spouse will, will then take your 50% and it gets distributed to her own family. 
which is all own parents. So technically, you're giving 50% to your in-laws if you're older and only 50% to your own parents, whereas your in-laws are taking 150% per se. Oh, wow. damn. So would you guys to find a younger partner than you now? <laughs> <laughs> I only did five years below me because, you know, estate planning. All of these are for those who are married. But, you know, as much as I'm still looking for the one, what happens if I'm still single when this happens, when this mm, passing on happens? Even for those who are single, Okay, right now, actually, I would say it's it's rather common to be able to accumulate a large amount of estate, okay, which is our assets after death. Okay, a lot of these are even in average income families, it's not it's not hard to reach even a million dollars. Okay, most of this can come from your insurance payouts. You know, our generation are more savvy in investments, so it could mm-hmm. be from investment growth as well. So you know, I could accumulate a million dollars for my own family, for my parents. Okay, after I'm gone, however. Do you want to think about whether the beneficiaries are financially savvy enough to manage such a large sum of money being left for them? Would my elderly parents be able to manage a $1 million one shot right now if I were to give it to them? I think my parents are quite smart. I can't speak for everyone. Okay, for myself, okay, my will, I have left all my assets for my parents as well. Okay, but I did place a testamentary trust. So in such a sense, I placed this $1 million into this safety deposit box. It's actually to ring fence and to protect to ensure that this million dollars will not be touched by other parties. I'm talking about scams are very common these days, right? Mm. So what if I leave my parents a million dollars and, you know, they fall prey to a scam, you know, and this money just disappears overnight, you know, then all, all I left for them was, you know, I'll probably be in hell or heaven. I'll be so upset, you know, I want to come <laughs> back onto earth. Placing all these assets into a trust ensures that all this money cannot be touched. Okay, but however, I can instruct the trust to disburse this money on a monthly basis to my parents to ensure that I'm still providing for them financially. But at the same time, they will not, you know, have money to be scammed away or to allow other people to, you know, borrow it away from them. If let's say you have someone with special needs, Alzheimer, dementia, it's a good idea to do this as well. I really like the message that we've been, you know, spreading through this episode. And that is while you still can, while you're still able mentally, physically, get the will done because at the end of the day, you are taking responsibility for not just what you've left behind, but what comes after as well. And I think this entire episode has been very um, sobering. I feel like I'm walking away with real actionables on like what to do. Like, you know, go think about a will. I think when I first started financial planning, which was when I had my first job, it was very simple. It was like, get some of the basics in place. But now it's like four or five years into my career, you have, you know, savings and you have, uh, you know, returns coming in and you, you look at the economy and you look at stuff like that and you're wondering, yeah, how do I make sure that the money that I have, it goes towards people I care about, right? It doesn't just disappear and get wasted away. And I think, yeah, if you care about those things, then estate planning is something you should put on your to-do list. I'm starting to rethink whether or not I should have this party or whether I should be responsible. <laughs> and, and like, think about think about the future. After talking about the division of the assets and how, uh, actually, it, it's not as tedious as I thought it would be to make something a bit safe for uh, the people around us. If we do this, right, if we plan our passing in kind, it can really take away a lot of the burden of even losing that person in a very corporeal sense. Something that can be measured financially and I you know people don't like thinking about the financial aspects of this sometimes and Zach you know like being in the in the middle of all of this and having done this for a few years now what is one takeaway that you would like our listeners to have Mm, I think most importantly you know for anybody is that you have to understand that 
eventually this money has to be paid. Okay, it's either you pay to do a will now, or in the future, your family will probably have to pay to get lawyers to handle the distribution and everything. And it's going to cost them a lot more time and money. If eventually this is the cost that has to come out, then rather, you know, I'll spend a little bit more time and a lot lesser money to get a will done now so that I can save my family all that time and trouble. Especially when, you know, they're probably in mourning, you know, mourning a loss of a loved ones and they have their own personal life to deal with. You know, they might have their own families or whoever and they have to move on with life. They might not have that much time to handle off the estate, which is why I have a lot of people coming to me a year, a year and a half later saying that the estate is all still sunk there. We haven't had the time to get and deal with it because they don't know how and it's so complicated. You don't truly move on from like the death of that loved one because you're still stuck managing what they had in managing their life. Managing the estate, yeah, yeah. All right, that's right. And they have to go up and down from the court, you know, they get turned down, rejected here and again. And, you know, it really takes a lot of, like, a, a toll on them. I'm glad we're doing this on SG Explained because I think we've been focusing a lot of our episodes on the things to enjoy while you're alive or the things that shape our sense of identity here. But actually, there's a lot of implications on like our loved ones after we pass. And that shapes our experience in Singapore too, right? Uh, it shapes like when someone passes on and we have to deal with it and the laws kick, get kicked in place and stuff like that. This is exactly why we love having Mian on the show, bringing Aww, the hot topics. I mean, this is not about me. It was all about Zach, honestly. Like he, <laughs> he, he, he provided us a lot of the info, you know. I <laughs> yeah, really appreciate you coming on the show, Zach. It's my pleasure to be here. I hope you guys learned something and I hope you know, the did. listeners are going to learn something Definitely. as well. Definitely. Who would have thought that chance encounter in your car could have gotten us this far on SG Explained. When my grandfather has passed on, I can see both sides, how my parents dealt with it and how the grieving doesn't end after the wake is over, after they've cremated the body, right? The grieving continues as you talk logistics of how to, to handle my grandparents' assets. There are things that we can still do that are still within our control when we are alive to help make the ones who love us and have to see us go a little easier on them, I feel. So thank you so much for giving us something to think about today, Zach. And I'm sure our listeners feel the same way. By the way, if you guys want to work with Zach, his contact is down below. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you do have an idea for another episode that you would like us to discuss, please slip into our DMs over at SG Explained Podcast on Instagram. We will catch you in the next one. Bye! See you all real soon. Thank you. Bye! Bye.